Howdy, folks, and welcome back to the Kentuckian, episode two. This episode will be covering important heroes of American history. I want this episode to be a little more fun and not quite as much about politics or things like that. I'm going to go over some exceptional Americans that could be your hero, if you will. It goes very much in line with what I talked about in the first episode about heroes and heritage. It's important that we learn some of this and, and start getting those role models that all of us need. And hopefully you might find that some of this quote-unquote boring history is surprisingly entertaining. Remember that the folks on this list are just people too. People with their own personality, quirks, and flaws. That doesn't mean that they don't have admirable qualities or a character worth emulating. And this is also by no means an exhaustive list, but it might get your gears turning. In fact, just if people I thought of off the fly have enough material for several episodes, and that was just a handful of people as I was trying to think of, of good subject matter for an episode like this. Uh, I think this will be a topic that I'll cover from time to time. I, I think I'd like to do that as sort of a, a recurring theme occasionally. I'll spread it out. It won't be all the time. But if you have suggestions of people you'd like me to cover, things like that, please reach out to me. I'd like to also do heroes through world history and important characters in history, but not necessarily heroes. So sometimes it'll be literally the bad guys of history, but that doesn't mean that they would. there aren't things we should study about them. Uh, there can be some very important things to learn. There's a reason Napoleon, as bad as he was in many ways, is such a studied character in history because there's a lot we can learn from him and learn about people in general and a lot of different subject matter that would be covered in a study like that. But we'll see. Uh, I, I would like to do this some, but even in this episode, we're only going to cover a small handful of people uh, to get even a basic, uh, just a basic introduction to these characters, to these people in history. There is a lot, and it'll take a significant amount of time, and I just don't have time to cover very many in 20 to 30 minutes. But like I said, I'll spread this around. It's not something that's going to show up all the time. But anyway, let's get started. For clarity, I'll be going in order roughly from oldest to newest people, so the oldest in American history to the newest in American history. And remember that I'm, I'm not an expert on the, all these people. Um, I may know some of them a little better than others, but I know of basically all of them. And again, we won't be covering many just to give a little bit of time to each one. I, we're covering, I think, maybe five different characters, different people in American history. And even though I'm not an expert per se on any of these, you could very easily do a podcast, a series of podcasts on many of these people, uh, just one to study them in depth. This is really just more an introduction uh, to kind of whet your appetite, get you interested, maybe you learn a few interesting facts about some important people in American history. And of course, you can study them more on your own, and I would highly recommend that as well. So the first person I want to talk about specifically is Thomas Paine. Now, many of you may know of him. The name may, name may sound vaguely familiar, but we'll go over some of his accomplishments here. He was originally an Englishman, he had repeated failures at several different jobs uh, early on in his life. He started political writing in 1772. He was still in England at the time when he published The Case of the Officers of Excise. It was an article that was pushing for an increase in the pay of excise officers, as you might could imagine. He was an excise officer at the time. In 1774, just a couple years later, he moved to America at the behest of Benjamin Franklin himself 
whom he met in England in that same year. Benjamin Franklin was trying to take care of some business with the English government, and he apparently ran into him, and they talked some, and he suggested that Thomas Paine move to America. He started writing much more and worked at a newspaper, and once he got to America, he settled in Pennsylvania for a few years. And in 1776, also the same year that the Declaration of Independence was signed, he published one of the most important documents in American history. It was a pamphlet called Common Sense. It was very influential at the time and very uh, a very strong force for gaining widespread public support for the war for independence. At the time, there wasn't necessarily a lot of public support. Uh, a lot of people didn't know exactly what to make up their, how to make up their mind about this. Of course, basically all of them still considered themselves British subjects and trying to, to deal with this in the, in the most responsible way possible. And common sense was a tool that was used by Payne and many others to help convince people that uh, the American cause was just. I've read Common Sense myself. I actually have a copy of it along with some of other, some of Thomas Paine's other writings, and it is actually quite relevant even today. It's pretty short. Uh, it's originally published as 50 pages. I don't know exactly, remember exactly what it comes out to in the book that I have, but it is very short. You could probably pretty easily read it in an evening. And I believe Last time I checked, it is available online for free in PDF form. Definitely would take would recommend every American take the time to read that. Like I said, it is surprisingly rele relevant today, and it was very well written for the time and can help understand some of the thoughts, some of the arguments that were being made in America at the time about how to deal with the British crown and parliament's overreach and the the taxes and all the different issues that helped lead to the American Revolution. He went on to live quite a colorful life. Uh, he wrote quite a bit more, wrote some even other famous works, particularly having to do with the French Revolution. Ironically, um, he went to France. He escaped England. He actually moved back to England, and then uh, England tried to arrest him for treason, for I believe something that he wrote against the crown, he got away in time and went to France and he had written quite a bit about the French revolution, defending it and a lot of other different things. And then when things got even worse in France in the French revolution and it became much more anarchic and then tyrannical under Maximilien Robespierre and some of his lackeys, he was actually nearly executed. Uh, he did get away. He actually invented and he built bridges as well. He, he had a lot of different things that he liked to do. And even in his early life and many of those failed, jobs that he would attempted to work at. He actually tried a lot of different things there. He was quite a character, uh, and he was definitely not without his flaws, especially later in his life. Some of the stuff he wrote got to be a little out there, um, but he holds an important place in American history, and if it wasn't for some of his work, we might not be in the situation we're in today. We might not be the United States of America. The next person I want to talk about and this I'm sure will take some time, is Thomas Jefferson. Now, I think most all of us would have heard that name. Uh, as you probably know, he wrote the Declaration of Independence, and we'll talk about some of his major accomplishments. And believe me, there are a lot of major accomplishments from Thomas Jefferson. It, uh, I was kind of surprised. I didn't think there would be that much. And even when I was trying to go through some of the material and just hit the biggest highlights. Uh, it was definitely the largest section. He was a very accomplished American, 
very intelligent, and had quite the interesting life, and perhaps maybe even what you might think of as a relatively surprising end to it. So he was born in 1743 in Virginia. His father was the first man to produce an accurate map of the province of Virginia. Uh, Jefferson was very studious as a young man. He was quite familiar with Latin and Greek from an early age, continued his formal education at the College of William and Mary. Ironically, um, at the College of William and Mary, which was uh, the oldest college in Virginia, and I believe actually in the, in the colonies, but he was surprised to find that many of the college students that were there were not really that interested in studying. Uh, they were interested in betting on horse races and courting girls and all sorts of stuff like that. And it kind of disgusted him to a certain degree or surprised him. And he was very, very focused on his studies. He actually decided to read law. Now, what that is, of course, nowadays, if, if one were to want to be a lawyer, they would go to law school. At the time, you didn't have law schools. Basically, what a, a person reading law was, was in effect an apprenticeship to a senior lawyer. He actually did, read law under one of the most famous colonial lawyers at the time. It was a man named George Wythe. Uh, interestingly enough, he also read law for roughly double the normal time. So basically, if you were going to be, say, a carpenter and you were going to apprentice for three or five years, then it worked much the same way, except that Thomas Jefferson read law for twice as long, basically, uh, which gave him a bit of an edge and uh, really helped him stand out from his peers. In 1770, Jefferson built Monticello, which I think most people are probably familiar with. It's pictured on the back of a nickel. It was interesting in that he actually designed it himself. Thomas Jefferson really fit the mold of a Renaissance man, if you will. Uh, he studied a lot of different things. He was interested in a lot of different things and was well-versed in some. As, as mentioned with Monticello, he designed it himself. He, he drafted the blueprints for the mansion himself. And uh, it was quite impressive. And, of course, you can visit it today if you'd like. With uh, Thomas Jefferson and his wife, Martha, had six children. Um, unfortunately, only two of them survived to adulthood. Now, I won't spend much time on this. Again, if I were to do an episode that s focused on top Thomas Jefferson more specifically, I might go more into this. It is believed or, or pretty certain that he probably had some children with one or two of his slaves. Uh, so he actually does have some more descendants. Uh, but unfortunately, two of his children from his marriage with Martha uh, actually survived, as I mentioned. Interestingly enough, at least two of Thomas Jefferson's grandsons served at the Confederacy several years later during the war between the states. He had an active role in the politics of Virginia and was very passionate about the American cause. Uh, he attended the Second Continental Congress, where he was given his most important work and one of the most important works in human history, and that was writing the Declaration of Independence. He was originally appointed to a five-man committee, um, and the committee selected him as their draftsman because of his exceptional skill in writing. So he did technically have help, but he was the one that wrote most of it mm, pretty exclusively. After the War for Independence, he wanted to serve as the governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia in 1779 for two years. In 1785, he served as the U.S. minister to France. He actually replaced Benjamin Franklin in that role. 
1797, he became vice president to John Adams. Interestingly enough, he was actually running against John Adams for presidency, um, but because of the, the rules of the time, when John Adams won, uh, Jefferson automatically became his vice president. And in 1801, he was inaugurated as third president of the United States of America. As president, he was one of the few presidents to actually successfully decrease the national debt. He oversaw the Louisiana Purchase from France, which doubled the size of the United States at the time and sent the Lewis and Clark Expedition to explore this new area. Jefferson also defeated the Tripoli Pirates in the Barbary War. Uh, Tripoli is over in the Mediterranean Sea. They had been uh, disrupting American shipping, and Jefferson decided to do something about it. Part of the military action during the Barbary War was conducted by U.S. Marines. And if you are familiar with the U.S. Marine theme song, the part of the, the chorus that says, To the Shores of Tripoli, actually refers to this conflict and the role that they had in it. The last two major accomplishments of his life was organizing the University of Virginia, which he was very passionate about. It was one of what he considered one of his prou uh, proudest achievements, if I understand correctly. And he also sold his personal library to the government uh, as the core for the Library of Congress. Ironically about Thomas Jefferson, as many accomplishments as he had in his life, and of course he had some bumpy, uh, it was a bumpy road at times. He had some problems as governor of Virginia. Um, trying to balance everything with the war for independence and getting supplies to troops, and but also not abandoning his own state and, and all sorts of different issues that arose with that. His second term as president, uh, he ran into a lot of uh, problems as well. But obviously, as, as we've seen here, he was extremely, extremely accomplished. And yet at the end of his life, he was really struggling with debt. And that was the reason that he sold his personal library to the government. He loved books and he loved his library. Um, and yet he, like many people today, struggled with debt. He lived outside of his means and, and later in life, he had a hard time dealing with that. Again, I think it's really interesting because it's one of those things, somebody as, as great and as well-known as Thomas Jefferson, of course, not perfect. Um, but someone a, a, as renowned as as he was still had issues that, that many of us may deal with today uh, and something that we all need to be careful about. But I really think it helps us remember that these were just people. Yeah, they were exceptional. But again, it was really just because they worked hard, because they put in extra effort, because they didn't let people limit them. Anyway, moving on to the next person uh, I decided to cover for a little bit was Robert Edward Lee, or Robert E. Lee, as many people know him. Uh, despite as early in American history as he was born, he was already related to many famous characters in America. Uh, even his father, Light Horse Harry Lee, was his nickname, Light Horse Harry, uh, was a famous cavalryman in the Revolutionary War. Uh, in fact, Light Horse Harry Lee was the man that phrased the term about George Washington first First in war, first in peace, and first in the hearts of his countrymen. He was friends with George Washington. Actually, Lee was related to George Washington uh, or to the family through Martha's Martha Washington's first marriage. Apparently, her husband had died before she married George Washington, and one of the children that she bore was a direct ancestor of Robert E. Lee. His father was not very good with money. And Robert spent a large part of his life dealing with his family's financial problems. Again, I think that's very interesting. It wasn't necessarily something he did, but because his father, in a sense, left him some of the, the financial woes, the debt and things like that, he actually 
really tried and had to work hard to try and, and, and deal with that in a responsible manner. Again, something that we can relate to today, I think. It's, there's always family issues and things like that, and he was no different. He went to West Point, and after he graduated, he traveled around the country with his duties in the U.S. Army, and he served in the Mexican War with distinction. Uh, he earned spe particularly spectacular praise from the general in charge, General Winfield Scott. Ironically, he would face General Scott later as an opposite number early in the war between the states. General Winfield Scott was in charge of the Union Army um, at the beginning of the war, and Lee, well, quite frankly, from a military standpoint, trounced him. <laughs> he, uh, Lee was a quite the famous general, as we'll talk about in just a moment. But before the war started, uh, general uh, Lee was still a colonel in the United States Army. He was in charge of stopping the John Brown raid on Harper's Ferry, Virginia. And that was one of the events that greatly escalated tensions between the North and the South before the war. And it's something that we'll cover that event in more detail when uh, we cover the war in more detail, which we will be doing soon, I hope. After refusing to take command of the United States Army to quell the insurrection, it was offered to him by, Lee, by Lincoln. Uh, he went on to have a stellar career as commander of the Army of Northern Virginia and the Confederacy. He wouldn't abandon his state, and while he, did, he was not really a supporter of secession, uh, he really didn't want the United States to split, he would still support his home state to the end. After the war, he went on to be in charge of Washington University, uh, which was named Washington and Lee University after his death in his honor. Uh, some of you may have heard about this, but a little connection to current events um, in a horrible attempt to destroy history, Washington and Lee University has recently considered changing its name. Back in July, the faculty voted by a pretty overwhelming majority to remove Lee from the name, um, but I haven't found any confirmation that that was something that the university decided to actually move forward with. Very stellar man, um, always considered his religion, his faith to be the most important thing in his life. And he was an extremely humble man uh, and definitely someone we would do well to study and to emulate in many ways. And again, not perfect. No man is. Interestingly enough, there is an old legend that after the war um, at a church in Virginia, a black man had gone up to receive mass or something of that nature in worship. And the first person to go and kneel with him was Robert E. Lee. Uh, whether it's true or not, I don't know, but it was definitely a famous legend about him. And he was definitely an exceptional character and someone definitely worth studying. I've read some of his stuff and read about him. And uh, his his character was probably, despite all his accomplishments as a, as a, as a tactician, as a strategist, as a soldier, his faith and his character was something that I think was easily the most recognizable thing about him. And definitely somebody I would recommend you study some about. Moving on, uh, this is actually going to be the last person we cover. It's actually two people. Uh, a little bit farther up in American history is Orville and Wilbur Wright. Hopefully that you're hopefully you're familiar with them, but I realize many of you may not be. They were the first men to successfully fly a heavier than air aircraft. 
Um, they were childhood heroes of mine. I've always loved aviation, and Orville and Wilbur Wright's life story has helped make me who I am today. Their their course of action in their life is something that has inspired me, and I hope maybe it'll inspire you as we talk about it a little bit. On December 17, 1903, they th flew the first heavier-than-air aircraft, and ironically, though, neither of them were trained engineers. In fact, neither Orville or Wilbur went to college at all. Uh, they both always liked the idea of flying since they were kids. Um, before they built their plane and flew their plane, they ended up running a bicycle shop where they designed and built their own bicycles in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, but throughout that time, they continued experimentation with gliders and flying machines. Uh, they made much progress when they started to work on it a little bit more in earnest uh, in their studies on flight by watching birds, a technique that scientists and inventors still use today and has accounted for significant progress in the world, modern world, studying God's creation and seeing what makes it tick, if you will. Ironically, and this is something that I think is very interesting and important to know about Orville and Wilbur Wright, right about the same time as their historic first flight, the government had ongoing, well-funded, and much-publicized experiments uh, that were consistent and total failures. Samuel Langley of the Smithsonian Institute was spending tens of thousands of dollars trying to fly and was constantly failing. Orville and Wilbur, uh, working on their own with their own money, uh, money that mainly they were getting from their bicycle shop, uh, they not only designed the first flying aircraft, one thing people don't realize is that they also started to, or basically had designed a practical gasoline engine. Gasoline combustion engines were not necessarily very common. They did exist, um, but the issue with flying at the time was finding a, a, a motor that had enough power to actually generate lift, but also be light enough so that it didn't basically defeat itself. Uh, I don't want to get too much, uh, too sidetracked on that. That's something that I kind of really enjoy to talk about, and we're not really talking about the scientific and engineering concepts behind the flying, um, but it is something that's interesting because they were also innovative in using things, either new technologies or technologies that had already existed, but they weren't sure exactly how they should use them. Uh, very interesting. Like I said, they, they've always kind of inspired me for a very long time. Their ingenuity and perseverance in the face of all odds, despite competing with the federal government and as much money as even at the time that they had and were throwing towards flight, they never let that limit them. They never let that break them down or keep them from pushing forward. And they did something that, well, quite frankly, in today's environment, many people would say you couldn't do because, well, they don't have the right degree. And or that, you know, they didn't go to the right school or, well, they're not engineers. They're not scientists. And yet that's exactly what they were because they didn't let somebody's definition of what a scientist should be or what an engineer should be stop them from, from inventing and, and being ingenious and studying and working and really making a difference in, in the modern world. The, the, both the evolution of flight technology because of their advancements and the effect that that's had on the modern world. Um, from a commercial standpoint, from a military standpoint, from a, an exploration standpoint, is absolutely astounding. And uh, it's something that we can all look to and never let someone limit you because you don't have what they say you need.
You've, you've got a brain that God gave you. You can figure stuff out if you're willing to put in the work and the study. And Orville and Wilbur Wright, I believe, are some of the best examples of that in American history. Well, that was the main people I wanted to cover. Uh, I had so much more. Hopefully you found this interesting. Just about any one of these great men, as I mentioned earlier, would warrant an entire series of podcasts. Um, but I trust that this will give you some rudimentary knowledge of some of the great characters in American history. I originally had 25 people on my list, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning. That was basically just what I came up with off the top of my head. There's so many more people that I thought of would be good to study, and so many more people I know I haven't thought of that would be good to study. But the important thing to remember is that these people, again, are basically just like us. Maybe they worked extra hard, but that's nothing we can't do. American history is filled with stories of people who didn't limit themselves. They just worked their tails off. And that's really been one of the most important traits of the American is, is his work ethic and something that we have to make sure that we have and we instill in our children. Next episode will be on the war between the states, so stay tuned for that. If you all have any suggestions for subject matter, questions, criticisms, anything, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, I know things may still be rough from episode to episode. I'm, I'm new at this. I'm trying to, uh, to get all, all my styling and everything else worked out. So please bear with me. I hope that this is something that you enjoy and that you are willing to support. If you like what I do and or you know someone who might like what I do, please share this podcast. Your all support means so much to me and you all telling your friends, sharing it on social media, whatever, is how this podcast will grow. Uh, I wish you all all the best. And remember that as long as you and I are doing the right thing, we'll make a real difference in this world.